Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I think the 11 crowd shifted to 9.30. I love this. Good job. All right. Well, stand with me if you would. Hold your Bibles up high. Welcome all watching online today, wherever you are. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and uh, man, we just welcome you. So glad that you're here. This is the final sermon in the series, Dirty Christianity, which I'm sure some people will be thrilled that it's over um, because it's dirty, and uh, it talks about us getting dirty and and living a life that uh, would be a reflection of Christ. Uh, There was a pastor who... Uh, had pastored a long time in a, in a rather small town, and uh, he was about to pass away, and while he was under the physician's care in the hospital, and they gave him the diagnosis, uh, he began to think of what he wanted to do uh, during the last moments of his life, and so he uh, called his spouse and said, look, I, I want you to invite uh, these two men uh, to my hospital room. And uh, I want to be very specific, and I want to ask you to ask them to come. And uh, so his wife called him, and they showed up, and and uh, they were they were very shocked actually because they weren't great church attenders. One was a an IRS agent, and and the other was an attorney, uh, and and they hadn't really been great servant leaders in the church. So they were both very honored that the pastor invited them to come during this last moment in his life, and. At the same time, uh, their curiosity was, was killing them. So they get to the hospital, and one of them said, You know, Pastor, we really don't understand why we were invited here. You know, we, we realize we haven't been that diligent in church attendance and serving. and So we're just curious, why, why, why us? And he looked at him, he said, Well, Jesus died between two sinners, and I want to be like him. So, if you're an attorney or an IRS agent, please don't get mad at me. But our whole goal in life is, is to, uh, to be like Jesus in every way that we possibly can. And uh, that's the whole idea behind dirty Christianity is we look at the, the life of Jesus Christ. We see that uh, Jesus did things out of the norm. And Christians today, all of us, uh, have ways of processing Our response to every day, what we're going to do, how we're going to live, who we're going to engage with, who we're going to help, who we're going to serve, what we're going to do with with our time. So many different things uh, get in our head as we're wading through life, if you will. And the difficulty is, what are we going to give time to? What, What is going to get our time and what's going to get our attention? Many people pursue success and 
there's nothing necessarily wrong with having success, but I would say this, that the pursuit of success is not something that will end up being healthy for us because we're called to pursue God. We're called to pursue uh, His will for our lives and to find out in His Word what we are called to do each and every day and to walk in obedience to that, that knowledge that we possess. That's our goal. Success benefits me. Significance in life benefits others. So the goal in life is not necessarily to find success, but to find significance. And as you serve other people and as you give to other people and as you contribute to other people's well-being, that's real dirty Christianity. Because when Jesus left heaven, he was, and when he came, was the Son of God. He is the Son of God and was the Son of God. Now imagine for a moment on Jesus' worst day. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus having a worst day. But there had to be days that Jesus really felt more challenged than other days. There had to be days when Jesus woke up and went, man, I've got splinters in my hands from yesterday and helping daddy build a chair or a couch or a kitchen table. I, I, I'm, I'm sore. I'm tired. Uh, and he had to begin thinking, why am I doing this? Now think about Jesus' life just for a moment. We don't often think about it in terms of his humanity. We always think about Jesus in terms of his deity, his power, his authority. But just for a moment, think about Jesus in terms of being a full human being. And all that came with that and all the opportunities and all the frustration, all the pain, the anguish, the temptation, all the things that came with his life, just for a moment, and realized that he had very difficult decisions to make. And the thing I believe that happened every day, Jesus could have woken up and said, you know, what am I doing being a carpenter? I'm the son of the creator of heaven and earth. I'm the son of God. And, and I, I, I'm down here on earth with all these filthy people that my daddy created. And I'm getting ready to die after living amongst this mess for 33 years. I'm going to die. Think about the challenges that he went through and the, and the opportunities and days he didn't feel good. Did Jesus ever have an upset stomach? Did he ever have a migraine? Well, you know, I know that this is going to tread on theological thin ice, but let's just say for a moment that Jesus woke up one day and Mary cooked a lamb that went bad. And he eats it and he goes, Mama, my stomach hurts. Jesus, go do what you're supposed to do today. Jesus, take out the trash. Jesus, go help your daddy. Jesus, I, uh, you, we promised our neighbor that you'd go over and, and help him. Jesus, go do what you're supposed to do. Jesus had challenges. And the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he was without sin. So think for a moment about the temptations of Christ. A moment when weakness, physical weakness, physical sickness, mental anguish, the loss of someone he loved... And we know about one of those stories in the story of Lazarus. We, we get that. And, and, and Jesus, in, in John eleven thirty five 35, it says he wept. He was so moved by the loss of his dear friend. It wasn't an easy life being Jesus. People always wonder, why, if I was Jesus, you couldn't handle being Jesus. 
Tempted in every way, just as you're tempted, and yet had the power and capacity to make a decision that superseded the emotional trauma and difficulty of that moment. This dirty Christianity. When we look and wake up on Sunday morning, don't want to be at church. One of our board members' son got married in Austin last night. This is a man that has helped us like you can't imagine. Every year, he doesn't even come here. And he gives $18,000 to this church every year. 18000 Never shows up, but loves this church, loves us, loves me. He's been a friend for a long time. And one of his sons was getting married in Austin. And I just felt like, you know what? He has honored us as a church. I need to go to that, that wedding. So I was in Austin last night at a wedding, 5.30, left at 7.30, got home at 1.30 to preach to y'all. Now, let me tell you why I did that. Because here's a man that has honored God's house in Oklahoma City. Now, let me just tell you, I don't get, I am over 50. I don't get excited about staying up late anymore. I used to tell my children, nothing good happens after midnight. I still believe that. I saw devils on the side of the highway last night. Just waiting on stupid to happen. I didn't want to go to the wedding. I love them to death, but I didn't want to go. I didn't want to drive home and get to bed at 2 in the morning and come and talk to you all all happy. But I thought, you know, this is dirty Christianity. This is what brothers and sisters do. We do things that are not convenient. Uh, like Jesus leaving heaven, all the silver and the gold and the streets of gold and all the wonderful things. He said, I'm going to go to earth and I'm going to get dirty for the glory of my Father. And see, some of you, last night, you, you got to bed at 11. You didn't sleep good. But you're here. So let's talk a minute about those who aren't. Is that last week? Okay, we'll stay on this one then. The challenge we have is overcoming our flesh. If we can't overcome our flesh... And walk against the grain and live against the grain of, of mediocrity and convenience. We will never lead other people beyond theirs. If I can't believe for joy, I can't believe for somebody else to have joy. If, if I can't believe uh, that, that I can have peace, I can't believe for other people to have. If I cannot believe God to get my booty out of bed on Sunday, I can't very well pray that somebody else will get out of bed and get in the house of God. And we live in a day when there's probably now, I think the average attender, committed attender to a church, attends 1.5 times a month. And we've embraced that. And we've said, well, you know, we got online church. We got all these opportunities. We got podcasts. And, and, and we use all these excuses to excuse ourselves from putting ourselves in the midst of other believers and serving one another in the house of God. I may not win this battle, but I will never stop talking about it. Amen. Gathering together physically in a place of worship does something different. Serving in a place of worship makes something different happen in our lives. Try it. If all you've been doing is showing up, it's time for you to start stepping up. It's time to say, I'm not just going to be an observer in the kingdom of God. I'm going to be a server in the kingdom of God. 
It is, I will tell you right now, it's not convenient and it's not always fun. And it doesn't always give me fluffy feelings. But let me tell you what it does do. At the end of every day, it makes me feel like I've honored my Jesus. That I've done what Jesus would do. Matthew chapter 6. If you brought your Bibles, you have your iPad, your iPhone, I want you to go to verse 25. Because here's the deal. We're worried about so many things in this world, and we're worried about so many things in our lives, that it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to excuse ourselves from doing what Jesus did. WWJD may need to make a, a, a revival, may need to come back. What would Jesus do? Made a lot, of, a lot of people got it for a minute, and then people started making fun of it. And then before we know it, WWJD is nothing but a joke. But the reality is, it's not a joke. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Ask that question every day. First off, we know this, he wouldn't worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, this is in red, so Jesus is giving us a Sunday school lesson here. He said, don't worry about those things. This is the Son of God, which means that he had thoughts about these things, or he wouldn't have written about them. And he says, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in, in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. But that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now this is the famous scripture, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's a promise from God. That is a promise from God. That if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things that we would give our worry to, our attention to, will be done for us as well. That we seek him first. We seek a right life first. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's not our righteousness, but we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, so that all the worries of this world will not weigh us down. And it goes on to say, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't need to contribute to the cares and concerns of, of our lives. We need to leave those things to God. It's very easy. In a world that is filled with more news than we need, with news networks not battling to give us 
news and information, but battling against other networks to see if they can outdo them. Who can paint the most horrible picture, the most tragic scenario? Which news network can say we were the first and only on the scene? Because that's what they boast about. They're not boasting about helping us and encouraging us and you know, they need to stop sensationalizing tragedies and they would stop happening. But everybody's looking for 15 minutes of fame and they're getting it in the wrong ways. And then it creates worry in the rest of the world. Worry, 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 worrying about this, worrying about that. What if this happens? What if that happens? Why don't you start thinking, what if I get up tomorrow and I feel better tomorrow than I do today? What if I get up tomorrow and opportunity keeps knocking at my door that I'm going to have a hard time picking the best thing? Just start looking and saying, I'm telling you the best is yet to happen. Great things are about to come my way. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I know on the inside God is greater than everything that's going on around me because I know what's going on in me and the power of God is resident in my life and I can guarantee that he's going to do more than I can think, ask, or imagine according to that power that's at work in my life. What's the first thing you think about in the morning? Don't answer. What do you worry about? Don't answer. Because I can promise you right now, when I ask that question, 30 things pop up in most people's minds. Well, let me tell you what I worry about. I, I worry about my kids growing up in a fallen world. I, I worry that I'm going to be blown up. I'm worried that I'm going to be in a place where somebody comes in and wants to kill me. The Bible says don't worry about any of those things. See, if our life is right with God, as much as loss hurts, then we are never eternally lost. We're eternally blessed. That we were not made for this world anyway. We were made for another world. As Billy Graham said... I'm just on a journey through this world. This is not my home. This is not my home. So the reality is we become spiritual realtors. We're trying to tell people about an estate that they have in another location. And that it's already been paid for. There will be no mortgage on it. They won't have to pay taxes. They won't have to pay insurance. We just got to tell them, I am a, next time I'm there, I think that's a good idea. I don't even have that in my nose. I'm a spiritual realtor. I got just the home for you. The builder is amazing. Matter of fact, he's perfect. He's never had any problems with one house he's built. He's developing the hood right now. There will be no government housing. There will only be upscale lodging. How would you like that? It's already been paid for. It's all yours. What do I have to do? Get saved. Get born again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. just want you to keep hearing this over and over. Put things first in your life that are supposed to be first in your life. What are your pursuits? Ask yourself, what do I pursue first? What do I pursue first? Secondly, what do I think about first? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Many, many people get up every day worried, 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 worried. And yet, this is a very brief moment in time in which we live. The greatest thing that we will do is not just pursue God first and have first thoughts be right, but what are you doing for other people? Now, I know this is not one of those famous messages or series that everybody wants to hear because 
it challenges us to ask ourselves a lot of questions. And when I talk about getting to church on Sunday and just fighting with everything in us to put God first, it's absolutely imperative. I was talking to a pastor this week of a really, really very large church, and we haven't talked in a while, and I was asking him how they were doing, and he said, well, he said, you know, we're doing really good. I said, well, how are you doing? He said, you know, it, it was a challenging fall. We were growing so fast. And he said, you know, the demands have been great. I said, well, you know, I said, uh, how many did you have at Easter? That's coming up on us. I said, how many did you have at Easter? He said, well, we had 16,000. And I said, so I said, well, how many do you have every week? He said, we have about 7,500. And I said, isn't it sad? I said, because you have 8,000 orphans out wandering the streets between Easter's. And you know how I know they have that many people? Because I know what their budget is. And I know how to do the math on people per money. And they legitimately have 16,000 people that call their church home. But only 7,500 of them can get out of bed on Sunday. What do you think they're putting first? Let me just be a really, really firm pastor right now. What do you think they're putting first? Sleep? It's a beautiful sunny day outside. Let's go to the park. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. But I, I just want you to know that I'm not ever going to bow my knee to a world system that says God and church are not important. I'm just not going to do it. We can say, well, you know, I, I, I watch podcasts. I, that's great. Podcast is not broccoli. It's a supplemental pill. You'll never get the nutrients from a pill that has broccoli in it like you get out of broccoli that came out of the dirt that God created. Watching me on a computer is supplemental. Being with me in the house is broccoli. And any other pastor, as far as that goes, I just happen to know how much God loves me. The reason I share this with you is because I was so saddened after that conversation this week when I'm hearing what he said, and I'm thinking people are attending church 1.5 times a month, and these are the committed Christians. Now, I'm probably preaching to the choir because I see a lot of you every week. And I'm happy for you. And vacations are necessary. And, and time away is not a bad thing. And I don't want you to hear me condemn you. That's not what I'm doing. But I want you to understand that every weekend we need to be thinking about Sunday. Can I get to the house of God? If I can't get to the house of God, why can't I get to the house of God? What's holding me back? Is it something really legitimate? Or am I just excusing myself for the sake of convenience? Don't get mad at me. Pray for me. I'm called to provoke. Any pastor who's not provoking people is not preaching the gospel. Because good news will challenge you better than bad news every day. We've, we're fallen people. Bad news is a part of our DNA. But as born-again people, good news ought to raise the bar and cause us to want to do more and seek more and pursue more of God. Realizing all that God holds in his hands for us. Establish spiritual practices and disciplines. That's how you keep first things first. Spiritual practices and disciplines.
80% of those who drowned when the Titanic sank were men, many of whom had given up their places in lifeboats for women. Now, 80 years later, a survey conducted by a Pittsburgh newspaper indicates that only 35% of men in a similar situa situation today would be willing to relinquish their spots in a lifeboat to children or women other than their own wives. We went from 80% to 35%. Why do you think that is? We began to think about ourselves. I'm so glad Jesus didn't think about himself. I'm so glad Jesus looked beyond the pain and suffering of the cross and knowing the only way for us to ever be healthy and whole and reunited with our Creator was through the cross. Through a crisis, through a difficult situation, the only way that we would be reconnected to God. And Jesus saw through that cross and He said, it's going to get dirty. It's going to get bloody. It's going to get nasty. They're going to criticize me. And by virtue of me hanging on that cross, all those who see me are going to believe I'm guilty. Well, let me tell you something. When you get born again and you get covered by the blood of Jesus, nobody can declare you guilty again. You are innocent because of the blood of the Lamb and the sacrifice He made. We must look at others the way God looks at them, the way Jesus looks at them. Instead of seeing their guilt and their shame, their sin, we need to see them as children of God, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And when you do that, you'll begin to have a vision for their life. You'll begin to talk to them in ways they've never been talked to. You'll talk to them in ways that will stimulate them and inspire them to follow you and walk after you. When you fall down, they see you get up. And they say, if they got up, I can get up. When you look at them and dust yourself off and say, it'll probably happen again. But when it happens again, I'll get up again. And if it happens again, I'll get up again. Why? Because God said he'd be there with me. And though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Sometimes people just need a little encouragement. Sometimes they just need to, to reach, somebody to reach down and pull them up and say, I'll walk with you until your knee gets healed, until you feel confident again, I'm going to be there with you. That's the kind of people we're called to be. It's dirty Christianity, not leaving people when they fall down, embarrassed by their tripping, but encouraged and in being an encouragement to them to get up and go again. And this is a question that, that I want you to ponder this week. What do you weep over? What saddens your heart? Didn't make enough money? Didn't get the job that I wanted? Lost the house I put a bid in on? What makes you weep? Or a co-worker who is going through a tough time. Lost someone they loved. Going through divorce. Kids not serving God. Those are the things that Jesus wept over. When he looked down on Jerusalem and he saw the people, not the buildings, not all the things there, but when he looked upon a city that, of God's creation, of his Father's creation, he looked and he wept because he, he felt the sorrow. He sensed the pain. I'm preaching to all of us. I'm preaching to me. I, I really, really, if this year, if there's anything I, I want to be able to do is is God changed my heart and helped me to better connect to hurting people. Help me sense and be more sensitive 
more aware, more kind, more patient, more tolerant, more engaged, more willing to help. Help me, God. Help me, because in a wonderful country like we live in, it's so easy to get caught up in knowing we can succeed. I can make more money. I can go somewhere else and become more popular. I'm trying to expand my influence. No, God, just use the influence I have to expand your kingdom. Use whatever I have to expand your kingdom. Every one of you have influence. All of us have it. Nobody's special. I don't have more influence than you. I have a platform, but you have a platform. We all have the opportunity to influence other people. And you know what? You're going to find it's not that difficult. The devil would have you believe it's difficult. It's not that difficult. We just have to get beyond our flesh and not be selfish and self-centered. The only good thing about self-centered people is they only talk about themselves. They don't talk about others. As a result, they don't really have a platform to talk to others either because everything's all about them. Lastly, make sure that there is regular change in your own life because if there's not, there won't be change in anybody else's. When somebody sees you or talks to you, there should be a sense in them that something's happened in your life, therefore something can happen in theirs. Sometimes the greatest testimony you have comes out of the greatest test you've experienced. Sometimes the greatest message you'll ever preach comes from the mess that's been created in your life. So if your life has been a mess, turn it into a message. If your life has been a test, turn it into a testimony. Talk about it. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Dirty Christianity is born out of great humility as well as love. I'm willing to get dirty just in a couple of weeks, folks. Let me tell you right now, or a month. Easter will be right upon us, and people are looking, and they're listening, and they're waiting, and they're watching. And they're wondering, will anybody invite me to church, or where will I go to church, and why will I go there, and what will it be like? And I want us to be geared up. This, this month, this series, Dirty Christianity, was placed in, in February due to Easter being just weeks away wanting to prepare our hearts to be aware of people around us people that we know that don't go to church don't have a church home and quite frankly many of them don't feel like they're welcome or would be welcome in a church i'm not saying that's the church's fault but is there anything we can do to help them drop the guard and begin to believe that going to church would not be a bad thing and I know what many people say today. I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I know you don't. But you'll pay hell getting to heaven without a church. We're called to gather together. It's what Jesus said. It's what the Bible says. To gather together. People need family. People need a home. People need a place of worship. They need a place where the presence of God is multiplied as the people multiply. This past week... I grieved for several days at the loss of probably my, the greatest Christian communicator that's ever walked in my, my lifetime, Reverend Billy Graham. 
years ago, Rick, Pastor Rick and I were in New York, and we were at a tennis tournament. I, got a, I knew I had been invited to preach at Billy Graham's organization in North Carolina. I was scared to death and honored. There were two guys I didn't want to ever preach in front of, and that was Oral Roberts and Billy Graham. Well, I made it through Oral Roberts, but when I was invited to, to Billy Graham's organization to speak, it was probably the scariest moment of my preaching career because I so esteem and esteemed this man. Still friends with his grandson. Got a text from him this morning. Just very honored to be a part of, of that organization. Never talk much about it because it's such reverence for Reverend Graham. And so what I want to do today is something a little different. And uh, I want you just to watch this clip that was put together about his life. And today, I know it may seem bizarre to you, but I think it'll touch your life when you, you hear what's being said about a man who did this. I believe Billy Graham was one of the dirtiest Christians that ever lived. I really believe he was. I believe there wasn't a person on earth that he didn't love, that he wouldn't bend down, shake their hand, and say it's an honor to meet you. As they said, Reverend Graham, it's an honor to meet you. Run the video, please. The moment you read in the paper that Billy Graham is dead, you'll know that he's more alive than he's ever been before, and I'm in paradise. And I'm looking forward to it. The mark you made for the gospel, for the good news, for Jesus, is unprecedented. What a life, what a life well lived. Well, he was one of the most important Christian evangelists who ever drew breath. Now, you can't change your past, but Christ can change your past. I can only imagine. God, I'm certain, is with me, and when I come to the moment of death, I believe that at that moment, there's going to be an angel that will take me by the hand and usher me into the presence of the Lord. What it will be like. And I'm going to be in his presence, and it's going to be the most peaceful, the most wonderful, the most thrilling moment when I walk that I have ever experienced. By your side. God has sent me out as a warrior. I can only imagine. On the five continent to preach the gospel. What my eyes will see when your face that's the way to god is through jesus is before me i can only imagine when you go home tonight you don't go alone christ goes with you he loves you surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will i dance for you jesus or in all of you be still will i stand in your presence to my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine. I think he's part of our history. He was the spiritual conscience of our country. Thank you for the integrity of a man who backed it up in every kind of a way. Let's talk about 9-11 first, 2001, you're in the White yeah. House. What happened, Carl? Well, uh, Tim Gagline and Matt Smith, two of my deputies, uh, were in charge of the service at the National Cathedral, and they suggested that Billy Graham be asked to participate, and he readily agreed. The difficulty was we had to get him to Washington, D.C., and on that morning of that service, one civilian aircraft was in the skies above the, uh, above the United well, we States. We should remind everybody and, and, that aircraft had been grounded all across the country at that point. One civilian aircraft is in the skies above the United States and it bears Billy Graham. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, 
are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. This is a joyful, godly man. I want to just say thank you, God. I can only imagine. That you blessed this generation with a man whose heart was sold out to you. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I I'll be able to speak at all I can only imagine I can only imagine Oh, by your glory What will my heart feel Will I dance for you, Jesus Or in all of you be still Will I stand in your presence to my of the gospel in the U.S. without the name Billy Graham coming up. He didn't stop with his generation. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever forever worship you. There's been nobody like this man probably ever in the history of mankind. And to watch people respond to the message pretty overwhelming every single night. I can only I would like to be remembered as a person who was faithful to God, faithful to my call, and did it with integrity and with love. I'm going to ask you to do something that we've seen thousands of people do all over the world. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment tonight to be sure that you know Christ and that you're ready for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today that no one on this earth, past, present, or future, is so lost that you haven't already found them. You know every detail of every heart. You know the location of every life. The challenge is, have they found you? And you're not hiding. So God, today, my prayer would be, that if even one watching or listening is lost, that today 
they would know that you're waiting on them and that this is simply a brief journey, a moment in time, passing through. This is not our home. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you'd say today to yourself, you know, I'm a sinner, I'm not saved. I need Jesus. I need Christ in my life. Please pray for me. I want to ask you just to slip your hand up and put it right back down. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all pray this prayer. Say, Father God, I am so grateful today that you saw this day and that Jesus gave his life for this day. And he gave his life for me. So today, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I give my life to you. Amen.